This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline, and thank you, Mr. Kelly, Passing the baton after a great newscast and uh, the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly. And right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with questions, comments, or concerns. And thanks for having me on your show. You can give a call and we can talk about plant selection, the ups and downs and all arounds. You're, whether you're looking at annuals, yes, you can start some annuals right now. Well, your probably garden center is not going to have them yet, but uh, you can get some seed just for fun. You get a heating mat to put the flats with the plastic flats like you would put seed or potting mix for starting seeds in and just watch the seeds germinate. You don't necessarily have to grow them until they're going to be fully sized or anything else. Grow lights and a heating mat is really all you need. How about bulbs? Your daffodils and stuff still sitting in the garage? Woo-oo. Didn't get those planted? Well, I don't know if you're going to... You could go ahead and plant them once the ground thaws, but don't expect any kind of flowers this year. You'll probably get the foliage. How about edibles? How about ground covers? Your houseplants, how are they doing? And uh, your lawn, your perennials, your roses, your trees, your shrubs, your vines, or your water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take. And uh, it's just something for you to consider. Greg's producing for the second hour, like usual. And during the week, I do landscape consulting, where I come to your home and I do something called a walk and talk where we take a look at things that you've perceived as problems or, you know, circumstances. And then consequently, um, I'll use my expertise. Also, I'll keep my eyes, ears, and nose, not necessarily nose, but yes, for other things that may be impacting your outdoors. So I'll share 40-plus years of experience. And now a special recognition of individual group or situation that's made an impression on me is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Today's tip of the trial. Thursday, I had to go to SLU, you know, the doctor's building, because 20 years ago, well, not quite 20, 19 years and 11 months ago, I had an epileptic seizure on air here at KMOX. So consequently, once a year, I have to go to SLU and they have to, you know, do all this stuff and make sure that I'm not too crazy and I'm still taking my medication and all that other stuff. But on the way there, we live in South City and this, you know, SLU hospital in this complex is up on Grand. It's not that far. But there was four or five different places where the utility workers were out there in this brutal cold repairing damage, whether it be water main breaks or whatever it was. And so a tip of the trial goes out to all those utility workers that were out there during the cold. Yes, you know, there's times when it's not necessarily that cold and it's a very difficult job. I completely agree. But consequently, when I saw those guys out there, 
Ugh, I was glad I was sitting in a car with a heater. Also, the tip, a tip of the trial goes out to the various garden clubs and plant societies in this entire region. And there are so many, it's absolutely unbelievable. I'll just mention a few every couple weeks. The Belleville Area Rose Society, the Bonsai Society of Greater St. Louis, the Boone County Garden Club, Caseyville Gardeners, the Concord Garden Club, and the Daffy, D-A-F-F-Y, Daffy Dill Club, and that's in Salem, Illinois. So there's also something called Design Concepts Garden Club. What this is is just these are organizations where there's very, very knowledgeable people that are part of these, let's say, clubs or societies or whatever. So if you have any interest at all or you might think you would have some interest, just attend some of the meetings and see, you know, see if you want to pursue this a little bit more or you want to improve your knowledge that you have about one particular plant or plant group. It's you it's just amazing what you're going to learn just you know in one meeting and then also you're going to meet all these people that have the same interests you do and then you're going to have brand new friends that you never even knew and it's just going to grow and grow and grow and so is your garden it's going to grow and grow and grow so just understand that that's a circumstance and that's a case so again if you have any questions or concerns or comments 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 Mike Miller, I'll be back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's go out to Eureka and go into Sue's yard. Hi, Sue. Good morning. Thanks so much for your show. I had two questions. <clears throat> Trimming of red of burning bushes. Uh, can you do that now? And my second question is, um, <clears throat> I volunteer to learn, like in city gardens, or we have one here in Eureka now, thank mm-hmm. God. And um, we we were, I, I was learning that they use newspaper, and then they put the mulch over the newspaper to kind of tuck in for the winter. And I was wondering, is it too late to do that in my garden now? Because I didn't have time to do my own. Okay, so you haven't you. done any mulching at all? I do have mulch. I didn't feel the need to put more mulch, mulch in the fall, um, but the weeds are my concern. Will the newspaper, if I go out there now and do newspaper with mulch, will that do anything or is it too late for the weeds? No, the weeds, you know, it's going to, there's probably already some weeds that are there. So consequently, yeah. and but what that could do is suppress, you know, the next generation, the warm season weeds that would be germinating later on. So it is a suppressant. It does work. Just don't put too much mulch because then you could be doing more damage than good. So around trees and shrubs, three to four inches, and keep it away from where the stems or trunk come out of the ground. So in other words, don't pile it up on them. And with roses, that's a little bit different. But with regular trees and shrubs and over perennials, ground covers and things like that, about one to two inches of mulch. So if you already have that amount, I would say don't put any more mulch down. Don't put any newspaper down. Don't, you know, and just plan on doing it in the future. Okay. And the burning bush question is it too? Uh, can I trim now? Uh, you can. I, you know, I'm just like I said during the first hour. I don't like to prune when we don't know what the winter is going to be like. This has been really drastic. What we've had now, it's going to warm up. It probably won't do any damage because burning bushes are pretty darn tough. So you could prune them now. But uh, I would say if you can hold off and wait until 
after the end of this month, you're probably, be, you know, it might be better for the plant. It may not make any difference whatsoever because I stand there and I say that, but then I'm going to say, well, also you can have tree services come out and do some pruning and deadwooding and all that other stuff. So you can do it to, you know, tough plants like burning bush and trees and some of the other shrubs as well. So you could do it if you want to, but uh, there's no reason to rush out and do it all of a sudden. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, the burning bush, you're not really growing it for anything but the fall color. So that's from the foliage. And if they're too, if they've overgrown the spot, then that's, you know, then you probably want to cut it, you know, cut them back because of the size or blocking walkways or whatever it happens to be. If not, just let them go because, I mean, some of the varieties will get six or eight feet high and wide, other ones will get a little bit bigger than that. But uh, for the most part, the more leaves they have, which means the more stems they have, the better the fall color potentially could be. So thanks, Sue. And now let's go to Larry in Shiloh, Illinois. Hi, Larry. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Very good. Hey, I have two questions regarding boxwood. Uh, I have some boxwood shrubbery I've had in the ground for about 15 years. It's very healthy. Uh, Over the years, well, I, I wanted it to keep it at about two feet tall, short. And over the years of trimming the top off flat, uh, it's steadily grown taller and taller with the thicker tubers that, that grow up. The, the top, very top, is easy to trim off, but in time it just seems to creep with the heavier tubers. And now I need to do a drastic cutback. It's about four feet tall now. I need to get it back to two feet tall. So I have two questions. Number one is when is a good time to do it? And number two, what can I use to effectively trim that? Those thick tubers are really hard to cut through. I've tried several things, and I guess um, it's going to end up being a slow process, but I'm just wondering what what kind of utensil or tool should I use to cut that thicker part back? Basically, if you cut... Two feet off boxwood, you are going to have ugly shrubs, and they may not recover. So, in other words, they may not be able to put out any new growth. So, just understand that if you do some pruning, off, you know, like you're taking away half of, especially a broadleaf evergreen like this. Timing-wise, you want to do it once winter is completely over with. So, you're going to wait until sometime early March. You know, where if you do want to go ahead and try to prune them to see if they will recover then do it then because if you do it prior to that, we could have a cold snap, then the branches and everything that that are going to be exposed because when you cut it off, when you look down into your boxwood right now, you're probably going to notice there's not too many leaves in the center of it. So if you chop that off, you're just going to have, you know, ugly-looking sticks on the top, and then consequently, you know, when you look down into it, and then those buds for new, you know, the growth that you want to have to fill in those ugly-looking sticks – may get damaged by the cold, but also they may just have forgotten that they're even buds, so they may not produce any kind of foliage at all. And for you know, cutting the bigger stems, if you can, I, I don't know how strong you are, but a hand pruner, you could do it that way. Or there's something called a lopper, L-O-P-E-R, and it's like a, kind of a big shear type thing where you would just you know, move it down into the, you know, the boxwood and just cut one, basically one, let's say, big stem out at a time. Yes, that, that's, uh, I've, I've tried that, and, and uh, 
it's it's a time consuming process. Absolutely. I know. Uh, and so I guess what you're saying is instead of two feet, maybe cut off six inches this year, six inches next year, and gradually get this thing down. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying about the possibility of uh, having growth problems after I do a drastic cutback. Um, <clears throat> I know I've seen that before with a boxwood where I tr- where I used to trim it rather low and uh and it doesn't look too good until it fills out again. But usually in a year's time, it'll fill out real nicely. So far, anyway, it's right. reacted that way, you know. But now how? You said they're about 15 years old? Yes. Uh-huh. So also with age, you know, as far as recovery-wise, the younger plants are going to be a little bit more aggressive. They're going to have a more aggressive root system. And they're mm-hmm. going to, let's say, recover from that. But just like with people... You know, I mean, when things or pets or anything, when you start to get a little bit older, recovery is going to be a little bit more problematic. Uh, I understand that completely. I'm in that uh, position myself. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> At 68. <laughs> I got you beat by quite a bit. Oh. So, so, I mean, have you tried just, you know, hedge trimmers, the power hedge trimmers? Uh I'll tell you what, I have a chainsaw I've tried, and that doesn't work. So uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's, they're too flexible for chainsaws. Uh-huh. But right. the hedge trimmer actually, you know, is more or less like a saw. And you can mm-hmm. just go to your favorite, you go to a hardware store, your favorite garden center, and just ask them if they have any hedge trimmers and take a mm-hmm. look at them. I'm not saying buy them because it could probably be pretty expensive. And again, yeah. I don't know if it's going to really give you that much relief at all, you know, or not. Yeah, the, the hedge trimmer seems to just bounce off of those thick ones. Right. Oh, definitely. And, uh, so I think you're right with a lopper. It's just going to take time to do it. Right. And, uh, maybe I, take a few years. <laughs> right. And I don't know how many boxwood that you have or how big the space is, but also, you know, I maybe think about, uh, I don't know what type of boxwood. There's two. There's small leaf boxwood and there's more or less regular boxwood. The small leaf one has a tendency to grow smaller, and consequently the stems on it, don't get as big as the regular traditional boxwood because tra- traditional boxwood can get pretty darn huge. And if it's a regular boxwood, you're going to, I mean, you know what happens. So yeah. if you do have space, maybe even think about, you know, putting a next generation of boxwood hedge in there and uh, just put them in between individual plants that are existing and see if, you know, if these recover, that's fine. If they don't recover, you got the other ones, the new installations there to kind of fill in the space. And get the microphylla boxwood. So Buxus, B-U-X-U-S, and then micro, M-I-C-R-O-P-H-Y-L-L-A. Okay, great. Yeah, this, all this information sounds real good, and it's confirmed some of my thoughts already. And uh, uh, I'll just go ahead and carry on with it, and we'll just see what happens uh, come springtime. I might attack that again and uh, try to get it straightened out. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, loppers are not, they're, I mean, they're good for cutting things, but they are not easy to use, and especially if you're trying to get them down inside something <laughs> to cut a big stem off. That's, it's going to, it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yep. Thanks, Larry. And anybody else, comments, questions, or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Other things that you might be thinking about doing, uh, if you do have some time, how about volunteering for organizations like Brightside St. Louis? How about Gateway Greening, Forest Park Forever, the Missouri Botanical Garden, or there are conservation groups that could use your help as well. 
and maybe spending some time with uh, thinking about new plant material. You've been looking out this window, you're looking out over here in your yard and things along that line. And you think, well, you know, I'm just not really happy with this. I want to take this out. I want to add something else to that. So, I mean, just even checking out the new catalogs, taking a class, the Internet. Oh, there's other ways that you can find to make, you know, decisions on new plant material. And just realize when you're making a decision on adding a plant material, look at mature size. That's so often becomes a problem, just like the gentleman was talking about. Uh, you know, the boxwood, he wants to keep it low. Now, there are some plants that you could get, you know, like, let's say, a glow barber vitae that would stay low, that would, you know, take two feet. It's not going to look like a boxwood by any means. But then, consequently, he would never have to prune it again. So it's not going to be square, flattened off. It's going to look like a string of pearls as opposed to, let's say, a linear-type circumstance. So look at the size. Look at the texture and everything else besides the compatibility with plants that are nearby. So when you're making a decision on new plant material, do that. If you don't, and I, I keep harping on this and harping on this, this is the time of year. The ground's frozen now, so you probably can't do it. But get a soil test done. Have a soil test done for your lawn areas, you know, all the way around the lawn and also, you know, all the way around your house and then any specific garden spaces. Get a soil test, then you can find out what there is in the, you know, in the soil that you may have to make adjustments or maybe that you've been doing that you should not do anymore because we're finding, you know, certain things, you know, continuous fertilizing can cause extravagant levels of things and be trouble from that standpoint. So it's just kind of like overeating yourself or your pet or whoever it is. Your, you know, your soil and your plant material can, you know, have some real trouble if there's just too much of something in the soil for the plant material. Let's go to Greg, and Greg lives in St. Louis. Hi, Greg. Hi, good morning. How are you? Very good. I have a rose bush, and I didn't get an opportunity to cut it back before winter this year, and I'm wondering, is there a window of time that I can still cut it back so I can get some good growth for Summer. Yeah, the, my concern would be cutting it back is fine. I don't know if it's a hybrid tea, grandiflora, or shrub type rose, but if it's a hybrid tea or grandiflora, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the mulch over the top of the crown, that would be my, more my concern than actually pruning back the rose. You can probably wow. prune it. So with the hybrid teas, grandifloras, let's say the traditional type roses that are used for cutting flowers, uh, you want about 8 or 10 inches over the top of that, the crown of that plant. So in other words, where the stems are coming up out of the ground. And yeah. you could go ahead, you can prune it. That's not the problem. It's just the lack of mulch during this really severe cold spell may actually kind of give it the kaputs. Okay. All right. But it, it would be okay to prune if I catch a, a warm day. Sure. Like coming up on Wednesday or something, it's supposed to get in the 50s, which seems unbelievable. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for the information. Sure. Yeah, it's just, you know, mulching, that is really crucial for those, you know, very, I don't want to say specialty roses. The reason why it's, you know, important for them is because they actually are a couple plants stuck together. And that graft, that's very fragile, and that's where, the, you know, the trouble potentially could come in. Mike Miller, KMRS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. 
Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. And if you do have question, concern, or comment, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're headed out to Lynn, Missouri, and that's where Mary lives. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. Uh, I'm calling to just tell you about a poinsettia that I'm successfully getting to, uh, quote, rebloom. Great. It was one I had last year. I put it outside during the summer and barely took care of it, but it was in mostly shade or eastern, eastern, southeast area. But anyway, I it was too pretty. To, I brought it in like I bring everything else in, and um, I started doing what I read to do, you know, give it maybe maybe as much as 16 hours of dark. And, right and then bring it back out. And I didn't quite get that done exactly right, but it's blooming. It's it's growing new leaves, and they're red, and it's beautiful. Perfect. And I'm giving a lot of water. So I just want to say I, it was certainly worthwhile to do, and I think I'm going to keep doing it. Great. Till, the, till, till it keeps living, I guess. Yeah. And so, it could go on for a long time. Oh, really? Yeah, my mother had one that I forget how long she had it. Like, And she wasn't really a plant grower. She just wasn't. Her mother, my grandmother, was the plant person. My mother really uh-huh. wasn't, but she had this poinsettia. That was probably she probably had it for ten plus years. Oh my gosh! Yes. Yeah, I guess eventually I might have to repot it or something. I haven't. I did put it into a clay pot from the original um, plastic pot or whatever right. it was. And uh, but I haven't changed the soil. So anyway, I'm really happy with it. And it's beautiful, and I'm glad I did it. Well, congratulations. Thank you. I thought I'd like to share that with you. And so, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, and it's you know it's amazing where sometimes well they say sixteen hours. If you know what you're trying to do when they say sixteen hours of darkness is you're just trying to duplicate or replicate what's going on in their native habitat, and that's yeah. you know what's going on. So you did a good job. Well, the one thing I was concerned that maybe the the uh, the lights in the house were affecting it at night. And right. So, that type of thing. I had a look at that too, you know. So whether it was dark or not outside, it was it was still light in the house. Sure. So some people put them in, in closets and everything else. That's but what I did. Yeah, my mother actually didn't do anything. It was that was a little bit too much work for her. So she just got yeah. you know, it was. I think I forget yeah. which window she kept it in, but uh, I think it was a, you know. But we we lived on Maple Lane, and there was a lot of trees, you know, maple trees, and you know, shaded all the windows all the way around the house. So. It just worked uh-huh. out, you know, she got lucky, I guess. Yeah, and I feel like maybe I did, too, because this is the first time I've ever done this. And and so I'm really happy with it. All so right. It was something worthwhile doing. Okay, thank you. Certainly. And you should take a selfie with it and put it on the Internet. And let's go to Springfield, Illinois, and talk with Jerry. Jerry, how are you? Yeah, hi, Mike. Uh, two things. One, uh, should I do I deserve a uh, tip of the trowel for bringing in a geranium and having three blossoms on it. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that's okay. I'll, I'll do a little bragging. Uh, also, <laughs> I got a question for you. I also have a potted uh, uh, jade plant. The, the, the soil is like a rock, uh, but it's doing okay. Mm-hmm. It, lo- it, it lost some leaves. I think it didn't have enough, uh, didn't have enough sunlight. Uh, for a while, but I've I put it in a sunny location. Uh, seems to be doing a little better, but uh, it's about a I guess a six inch pot, 
and uh, the plant is about 18 inches high. Uh, should I repot it? Of course, that will be in the spring. I'm not going out now, and I'm not dirtying up the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can do that. You don't need to do that. But let's say you're worried about the thing tipping over. What you can do is just get, a, let's say, a clay pot that's slightly bigger than the, I'm assuming it's growing in a plastic pot, and consequently just set the plastic pot down into the clay pot. Because, you know, any of the cactus family members, which a jade plant is, is a succulent. It doesn't have any thorns. But they prefer to be really tightly root-bound. So I would wait for a little bit more until you actually start to see some you know, root systems pushing out through the drainage holes in the bottom. And that would be the time that I, I mean, a lot of them, just not the you know, one you know, starting to stick out. And that would be the time when I would go ahead and transplant it up to a pot that's only one inch bigger than what it is. And definitely use a cactus potting mix. Don't use a regular potting mix. You could use regular potting mix, but the cactus potting mix has a little bit more sand quality to it, and that'd be better for the jade. Thank you very much. Yeah, Have and weekend. yeah, same to you. And also with this, do not over water. I mean, you've probably if it's healthy and it's growing well, and just you know, expect with the jade plant as the branches elongate, as they get a little bit bigger, the the leaves that are back closer to the main trunk or the main stem, wherever this particular branch, those are going to you know shrivel up and dry and fall off. So there's that's part of the whole growth process. If you go someplace where you can grow them outdoors or where they're native to, you're going to notice that again with like a lot of the broadleaf evergreens that we have here. Uh, if you look down inside of uh, them, you're going to see that there's not any leaves down in the center of it. It's only on the exterior, more or less, and that's where the most sunlight is coming in, and that's where the plant can support the, the foliage. So thanks, Jerry. And now let's go to South County and into Ken's yard. Hi, Ken. Hi, Mike. I've uh, been listening to you for years. I really appreciate your show. Uh, i got a question. Is uh is winter a good time to prune deciduous trees? Um, I, I like the idea that all the leaves are off and it's easy to get to, to and see the branches and everything. But uh, can you prune trees this time of year? Absolutely. This The only trees I wouldn't necessarily prune deciduous-wise would be maples. And that doesn't really hurt the maples all that much. It's just they have a huge amount of sap flow. And so consequently, it's just, you know, it... it you know, can create some potential problems with the sap flow, you know, causing, you know, fungus on the bark, not necessarily where the wound was. And make sure that, you know, where the final cut is longer branches, cut them off in, you know, one-third sections, and then with the final cut only being about a half inch long. Don't put any pruning sealer on it, nothing like that. If you're worried about just looking at, let's say, where the branch was because it's so white because of the heartwood, just take some dirt or you know something and just wipe it onto there, and you, that way you won't see it as much. Okay. I do have one maple that needs pruning. What's a better time to prune that? Summertime. There's less sap flow with the maples in the summer. You can do it during the wintertime. It's just you're going to notice... And it's not enough sap flow that's going to, like, weaken the plant or anything else. But just in general, it's, you know, let's say aesthetically a little bit nicer to wait until summertime to prune the maples versus doing it in the wintertime. Very good. Thank you very much. Yep. Thank you. And anybody else has any questions, concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yep. I mean, it's the ideal time to prune deciduous trees. Because you can look at the branches, you can see, you know, the only disadvantage of it, if you're not a professional like, you know, a tree service or something along that line, 
uh, getting rid of the deadwood. So because deadwood is something that really, if you if you have some deadwood branches in your trees, in the summertime, that's going to be much easier to see. And getting rid of the deadwood is something that's advisable because it can just be an invitation to diseases and problems along that line. Let's go now to Farmington and into Dennis Yard. Hi, Dennis. Uh, actually, my car. Oh, okay. But, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, what uh, What's the best way to get rid of the honeysuckle bush? Please, <laughs> I'll hang up while I uh, listen okay. to the radio. Thank you. Yeah, the honeysuckle is super invasive. They produce the red berries. The birds love them. And every time the bird eats the berries and then lands someplace else and goes to the bathroom, that's consequently where a new honeysuckle shrub. The best way to get, you know, I don't know how big these are or anything else, but uh, you can certainly use, uh, let's say, a woody plant killer. So, in other words, an herbicide like a Roundup for killing poison ivy and woody plants. So, in other words, cut it. Make the cuts at 45-degree angles. Don't do it right now. Wait until they start pr- producing some new growth. And then just paint this Roundup specifically for killing woody plants on the open wounds of where you've done it. Or you can actually dig them up out of the ground. Some of them get to be huge. And I don't know how many you have, but just realize the honeysuckle is very, very problematic as far as its invasiveness. But... Uh, a little experience, personal experience of mine is I had I lived at, had a home in Webster, had honeysuckle growing along the creek, and I knew if I took all this honeysuckle out, which I wanted to do, consequently, erosion was going to happen, a major problem with the erosion. So just I, what I did is got some ground cover, some euonymus ground cover, actually winter creeper, which is invasive in its own way, but I put that in as each honeysuckle I dug up, I put some Euonymus winter creeper. So just realize the honeysuckle is problematic. Yes, it overgrows everything and causes trouble. But if you start taking it out, you may end up, especially if you have any kind of slope, if you don't put anything there to compensate for that root system of the honeysuckle, you could end up with some erosion problems. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones, and we're headed to South City, and that's where Gomez lives. Hi, Gomez. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for uh, your service. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Okay. uh, We're taking out some honeysuckle. It's on flat ground, so we're not too worried about the erosion aspect. Right. Right. well, if we cut it down or cut it back this spring and use Tordon, will that pretty much eradicate it? Yeah, it should. Okay, that's that's just what I needed to know to be sure. I didn't know if uh, it was uh, woody enough material for Tordon to work or not, if, if that's the right description for it. Yeah, if it, you know, as long as it has the stems because there is a vine-type honeysuckle, and it won't work on that. Oh, it won't work on the vine types? No. I mean, it will, but it's it's not as effective. It's not developed for that. Well, for the vine type, then, what would be the best uh, route to take? I would probably just use, you know, you could cut it back, but, you know, what you're trying to do is leave, you know, for killing, a, let's say, a vine circumstance, you want to have as much foliage on it as you possibly can because and spray all the foliage, top and bottom, and, you know, you could, I wouldn't use, I would probably use something like Roundup. Okay. Well, good enough, then. We know how to use that. <laughs> Thanks so much. Have a good year. Certainly. Same with you. Okay, and uh, Yeah, if you've know, if you got the woody type, 
and you're going to try to use an herbicide on it or you know anything, make sure you make the cuts on the stems at a you know 45 degree angle because that makes more surface. So then you can just paint the herbicide right onto it. So let's go now to Ed in the city of St. Louis. Hi, Ed. Hi, how you doing? I, I have a business in the city of St. Louis. I planted some uh, sod, tall fescue about two two years ago, and uh, it was okay the first year. The second year, this vine grass is like just taking over. I tried to kill it with uh, weed be gone, uh, turf builder plus two, but it just keeps taking over, and it takes over all the uh, all the tall fescue. How can I kill this stuff? Basically, you're you're doing you know as much as you can as far as with the broadleaf you know weed killer. I would take I would dig up some of it or you know is it growing right now? First of all, oh yeah, it's there and it, it turns dormant. It's like a hot weather vine type. Right. Of so in other words, it's probably it's probably you know chickweed or mouse ear or something like that. So next you know in the next couple months when the forsythia yellow shrub is in flower, get a pre-emergent and put that down. Pre-emergent? What, what, what is considered pre-emergent? Well, just go to your favorite garden center. Pre-emergent is what it does is creates a chemical barrier on the surface. Then when this weed, regardless of what type it is, you know, it's an annual weed, the seeds germinate, it will kill the seed as it's germinating. So, oh, okay. so, so in other words, spring. it's great to try to kill it after, after it's actively growing. But if you're not getting out there doing it before it's done some flowering, consequently producing seed, then the, the broadleaf weed killers like Weed Be Gone do nothing to the seed. So you're trying to kill oh, it okay. at the point of germination. I got you. I got you. Okay, appreciate you. Yep. Just go to your favorite garden center and, you know, if, you, if, you know, if you're not sure what it is, and you wait until some of it grows, and you're going to have some of the flowering. But putting a pre-emergent down at the same time, the forsythia, the yellow flowering shrub, is in bloom. Let's go now to Dale, and Dale is in Turkey Hill. Hi, Dale. Uh, hey, Mike, how are you doing? And uh, thanks for joining my show. Yes, thank uh, you. Listen, I'd like, uh, I have uh, amaryllis. I have some uh, amaryllis roots that are down in my basement drying. Should I get them out right now and... Pardon me? Yeah, how long have they been down there? Uh, since probably uh, October. Yeah, so you could probably, uh, usually it takes about three months. But so in other words, you have the bulb, you're going to bring three it back out. To what, dry them out or what? Yeah, you know, okay. you can leave them in the pot. You don't have to do anything. I leave mine well, in, I, I in the pot. The pot. I take mine out of the pot and put them in a, uh, some kind of a flat, like a uh, some kind of a flower, flower flat and let them dry. Yeah, that's fine. I just, you know, okay. stick mine someplace, let the potting mix dry, and I pull mine out probably, it's been all, not quite two weeks yet, and just okay. then I start watering it, and then they'll start, uh, you know, producing the flower stalk, so. So I should, so I should put them, I should pot them now, they're not potted, they're, yeah. they're loose. You don't have to do it yet, now. but you can do it if you want to. Usually, you know, October, November, December, Usually it takes about three or four months of dormancy before you want to repot them and have them grow okay. again. But also the temperature of wherever you sit the pot, if you set it when it's this cold too close to the window, nothing's going to happen. So you got to put it someplace where it's kind of warm in a you know, warm, it'll, sunny it'll window. In my kitchen with a wood stove going all the time, it's warm. It's, you know, it's always 68 to uh, 75 degrees. That's perfect. Oh. Okay, I'll get them out today. That'll give me something to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's Take very the rest true. Of the day off, Mike. Yeah, thank you. And now let's go to Dawn and from Festus, Missouri. Hi, Dawn. 
Hi. I hope you can help me. I've got that pesky little uh, friend called the uh, pine saw uh, larvae that are destroying my mugos and spruces. When is the time to put the dormant oil on? In the wintertime before they emerge or after I see the nasty things for the first time? No, the, the dormant oil is strictly to get them while they're still, let's say, dormant in egg form. So sometime around Valentine's Day. You know, go to your favorite garden center, take a look, read on the label, and they will tell you during the you know the temperature range to put it on. But usually, it's around Valentine's Day to put it. And what it does is, is there, suffocates the eggs. Is there any other thing that I can put on other than the dormant spray without hurting the other butterfly uh, and, uh, insects? Yeah, the, what you're going to have to do then is just you know sort of like use an insecticide and spray it directly onto the pine sawfly. Gotcha. I thank you for your help. Well, sure. And, yeah, so, I mean, anything could impact, you know, any other eggs or anything. If you have butterfly eggs, you know, near where the pine sawfly is, I mean, the dormant oils, they do suffocate. And what you can do is if you don't want to use an insecticide and the pine sawfly eggs have hatched and you start seeing the little worms there, there is something called an insecticidal soap. You could try that also. And then there's a summer-weight horticultural oil, which you could spray on them also. So that gives you a little bit of an alternative. They're both insecticides, but they're, let's say, not traditional. Doug lives in South City. Doug, how are you today? I'm fine, Mike. Thanks. Um, This is kind of a follow-up to the gentleman that called about the the vine-type thing that was taking over his lawn. Uh, we, I think it's a type of grass, actually, that we have, and I'd like to know what it is and how to get rid of it. Uh, there are long strands of this grass. It, it's very aggressive, uh, and it just it's completely taken over our zoysia lawn. It goes dormant in the winter like zoysia. It's all brown now, but it gets bright green. It's very tolerant of heat and humidity, but it's, you know, we want to get rid of it and replace it. So do you know what it is and how we get rid of it? Uh, it's probably Bermuda grass. Okay. And Bermuda grass, golf courses use it a lot. And also what happens is it's a great, because you can see how, you know, the long trail is, birds love it for making nests. So if a bird finds some and he's flying over your yard and, you know, something scares it or whatever, he just drops a piece, that's how it gets started. Or it can, you know, migrate in from other yards. But, you know, I would go to your favorite garden center and tell them that you have Bermuda grass and see what kind of herbicide they have to recommend you know, against the Bermuda grass. There is one that specifically goes after the Bermuda grass, but it's super expensive, and I'm not even sure if it's available to somebody that doesn't have a professional pesticide license. So you got a really, really, you know, sort of nasty, horrible job here. Yeah, it, uh, I've never seen anything so aggressive, and, and it took over so quickly in a matter of, like, two years. Right. And it keeps yeah. going and going and going and going. And it definitely, you know, there are warm, it's a warm season grass, just like you said, like the zoysia. But it is, you know, it's a different color, and it just, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's real problematic. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll give it a shot. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, so again, go to your favorite garden center, tell them you have Bermuda grass, and see if they have a, a, you know, an herbicide that specifically targets that. And if they don't, then if you use, let's say, a regular grass killer, then it's going to impact your zoysia. So that's kind of the bad side of that. So thanks to everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it, and thanks for having me on your show. Is this the first show of this year? I don't know. Hmm. And then at 10 o'clock, it's going to be Investing Sense. Then 11, 11 o'clock is going to be Sports Open Line, so you got an opportunity to call in. And that's leading up to Blues hockey. So I guess the Blues are playing on the East Coast because 
that's all going to be starting at about 1130 or something like that. So just take care of everything. Just get out there. You know, stay off your lawn while it's still frozen, while it's, you don't have to worry too, you know, too much about it. And so by, again, walking on your lawn when the, everything's frozen like it is, you're gonna, you potentially could damage the crowns of the plant. Underneath bird seed, if you have bird feeders, you're never going to get anything to grow there. The reason why, even if you rake the seed and everything else, as light as birds are, the way they're bouncing around as they're looking for the seeds, that compression it does to the soil makes it very difficult for anything to grow underneath bird feeders. So the best thing you can do is just put some mulch underneath it and just leave it alone and just understand. And when the weather warms up, you're going to see some things that are germinating. But th- those seeds that are germinating and it looks like grass or whatever, you can just rake that and that will kill it off fairly easily. So don't you know get overly concerned about underneath bird feeders because you're never going to get, let's say, normal plant material growing there. And uh, next week, I'll be back. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you then. You're home for Chiefs football. KMOX, KMOX HD, St. Louis. 102.5 KEZK, HD3, St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.